Let's pray. Lord, as we bring this particular series to an end, I pray that this is actually a definition of the lifestyle we live. That we are disciples. We are 24-7 disciples. And we live for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year, and every day of the rest of our lives. I love, Lord, what your word says. That in you, Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. And so may we be people who live and move and have our being in you. And may people tonight, as we talk, experience a movement of your spirit that prepares them for moments and times of blessing that you want to pour into their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, some of you might be wondering, why are you wearing an Ireland rugby shirt? Well, let me tell you a couple reasons why. One, I'm Irish. <laughs> My grandparents' uh, last name was Rainey, so I'm 50% Irish on my mom's side. Well, actually, 50%, but because 100% on my mom's side coming towards me. And then on my dad's side, it's German and even more Irish, so I'm actually mostly Irish. Um, I do want to tell you, I don't know if you'll think this is interesting, but I bought this shirt to wear on St. Patrick's Day. And I bought it, I think, four years ago. And this is the first time I wore it. It seemed like every time St. Patrick's Day came, I was like, oh, I'd get this shirt out. I would get it out, then something else would come up. And I wouldn't be able to wear it. So now I get to wear it. And uh, uh, it got me thinking about St. Patrick, uh, which I don't know if you know anything about St. Patrick. My grandchildren do, my godchildren do. But I want to talk about St. Patrick for a moment. Uh, St. Patrick's Day uh, is, by the way, a day that we celebrate the life of St. Patrick. We celebrate the fact he brought Christianity to Ireland. And and it was the first one to bring... uh, Christianity there and brought a revival that led to most of the Irish people in his day converting to Jesus Christ and being born again. We also celebrate the date we choose on the day he died. So it's the date of his death. We celebrate his life. And uh, of course, he was a very on fire Christian, very strong Christian. And what happened to St. Patrick when he was young, when his teenage years, he was kidnapped from the home he lived in in England, in Great Britain, and he was kidnapped and brought to Ireland. His family didn't know where he was. They didn't know how to find him. And for six years, he lived in captivity. For six years, he lived in basically being a prisoner. Uh, And his main job was to care for sheep. And somehow, somehow being around the sheep, somehow experiencing uh, being a shepherd, Uh, he began to be awakened more and more to Jesus, the good shepherd, and he gave his life to Christ. Then one day he's out with the sheep and the Lord spoke to him. And he began to hear from God quite a bit. And the Lord said, tomorrow you'll be set free. And the Lord told him where to go to and a ship would be waiting for him. Now remember, he's a prisoner and there's no one else to tell him this but God. But he, he prayed about it. He believed it, got up and he looked around and no one was watching him for, which wasn't the norm. And then he got away. He went to the place that God had told him to go. There was a ship there and he called out and asked, would you be willing to take me on the ship? And they did. And so by the way, which that in and of itself is a miracle. And he gets on the ship and they take him and he's able to go home. And when he gets home, he more than ever knows that God's moving in his life. And he more than ever dedicates his life to Christ. And so he becomes, without a doubt, a 24-7 disciple. 
Someone living out discipleship. And, and then he has a vision. And in the vision, God tells him, I want you to go back to Ireland, the place where he was held in captivity. And I want you to tell them about me. And so he did. He had no support. He had nobody with him. And he goes to Ireland. And remember, he's not Irish. And what happens is he begins to preach about Jesus. And, and at first it doesn't go well. But then the Lord begins to open hearts and open doors. And people begin to give their lives to Christ. And, and he begins to experience amazing things as he's there. And he becomes so influential that, that now... They hold a national holiday in Ireland in his name. Now, many places around the world celebrate uh, St. Patrick because he lived out discipleship. Now, I want you to know that whether anybody claps for you, cheers for you, uh, God will when you become that committed, when you begin to live out discipleship. See, we're talking about what it means to be a disciple. And again, week after week, we've talked about this. So let me give you a little bit of review. Jesus, Jesus said that he wants you to be a disciple. And here's what he said about it. A disciple is someone who denies self, dies to self, and completely follows Christ, completely trusting in him and faithfully following everything he says. That's what a disciple does. That's what a disciple is. And then Jesus also said this, a disciple will love Jesus more than anyone or more than anything, more than life itself, more than life itself. And uh, we've seen people live out this kind of discipleship. Uh, by the way, it comes down to being what we call a, a person of the Asa Shema. Now, those are Hebrew words because the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. And there's a calling in Exodus 24-7 where God has sent Moses to reveal the book of the covenant to the people. And God has revealed his glory and his presence. And in that moment, Exodus 24-7, it says this, then Moses took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will assah. In other words, we'll do it with all our might. That's what that word means. And then we will shema. We'll completely understand. Uh, discipleship is only truly understood. Discipleship is only truly understood when you live it. When you live it. When you follow what Jesus tells you to do. And by the way, that's where the blessing comes in. In John chapter 13, verse 17, Jesus talking to them about being disciples, said this. He said, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You're blessed if you do them. Notice what Jesus says. I want you to know, I want you to understand, but the blessing comes in the doing. So when you saw and do it all your might, you'll truly understand what it means to follow Jesus. And then what happens in that moment is God's blessing comes into your life. This may not be easy. By the way, many times it will not be easy, but it'll always be blessed. Don't miss that. It may not always be easy, but you'll always be blessed. And the blessings will bring you joy that's overflowing, peace that passes understanding. That's the life of a disciple with a love-filled heart and knowing the purpose God has for you. So here's what I want you to know, that if you are a disciple, there's something that's going to be true of you. You will be completely committed to the Lord and you will never, ever hide that you're a Christian disciples don't hide out. There's no secret agent disciples. 
You know, it's not like, hey, I, I'm sent by God just to spy on everybody else. <laughs> no, you're supposed to live outwardly. Because why? You love the Lord so much you can't contain it. And listen to what it says in Matthew 10, 32 and 33. Jesus said, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. Jesus said, you know what? If you confess me before men's another way to say that, I'll confess you in heaven is mine. But if you deny me, I'll deny you. In other words, a disciple tells everybody they're a disciple. Now, they don't always walk around saying, I'm a disciple. <laughs> but they, they talk about the Lord. They talk about his word. They tell people of a love for God. They call people to hope. They just can't contain it. You just can't contain it. And so that's what we want to do. And by the way, that's what committed Christians do. And that's been true in the time of Jesus, everybody who followed him. And just shortly after Jesus rose from the dead, there's a man named Polycarp. Now, by the way, you're going to hear about him in the Bible series, but I don't want you to forget his name. Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. Polycarp actually knew, uh, or at least met, Andrew, and he also probably most likely met Peter. He's one of the people, how we know what books of the Bible should be in the New Testament. And John the Apostle discipled him into a life of discipleship, and he appointed him the Bishop of Smyrna. And he was a powerful man. He was bold in his faith. He spoke out strongly for Jesus, even when persecution came. He would not deny the Lord. And for years, God protected him, many times miraculously. But then it was when he was an older man, he was so influential, so powerful, so well-known, by the way, so respected, that people, I wasn't gonna say this, I gotta tell you guys this. There's stories that are written where Polycarp would pray and people would sit for hours enthralled with the prayers he prayed to God. Like they were listening in on a conversation between God and him. And, and he just had that kind of faith. So the word came that being a Christian was illegal. They had to arrest Polycarp. They had to kill him. And he was brought before the magistrate of the area he lived in in Smyrna. And the magistrate actually respected him too. And he did not want to put him to death. So he begged Polycarp. He said, relent, relent, relent. And Polycarp heard a voice from heaven. Now this is so interesting to me. The voice said this, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. He said it was God. Now here's what gets even more wild. Other people heard it. They heard God speak to him. They heard God say, be strong, Polycarp. And he called him by name. And he said, I want you to play the man. I want you to be a man. I don't want you to back down. So Polycarp told the magistrate, I'm not going to back down. He was brought before the governor and the governor begged him. He said, you're 86 years or you're 90, more than that. You're, you're so old at this point. You've lived such a life. I don't want you to back down or I don't want to kill you. So back down, relent, recant. Then he even said apostatize. That's one of the things that was recorded he said, which means leave the faith. And Polycarp said these words. He said, 86 years 
I have served him, Jesus, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He said, no, I can't. By the way, I think the word can't is really important. I can't do it. You're going to have to kill me because I never, ever, ever will deny my Lord. And uh, there's more than one account of what happened. They took him out and a huge crowd gathered. Uh, People, some wanting him to die, others not wanting him to die. They tied him to a stake and planned to burn him in front of everybody. And when they lit the fire, more than one account says the fire came up and went around him and wouldn't harm him. And so the soldier who was standing there screamed, screamed, recant, recant. And Polycarp just started praying. And so he took a dagger and he stepped into the flames and he stabbed him in the heart. And so much blood came out that the fire actually began to be extinguished. And that day people walked away in silence because they watched a man who was a disciple that would never, ever, ever deny the Lord. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my fathers in heaven. And Polycarp would not deny. Uh, There's another famous story from someone who lived right around that same time period, and her name was Perpetua. And Perpetua, by the way, uh, everyone talked about how beautiful she was. She was this incredibly beautiful, beautiful young girl, teenage girl, who uh, gave her life to Christ. Uh, she was the only Christian in her family. And, and her husband didn't become a Christian. Her, fa- her parents didn't become a Christian. And she got pregnant and she had a baby. And uh, that was a time another persecution broke out. And she was arrested. In the beginning, they allowed her to keep her baby in prison with her and she nursed the child there. And then trying to break her, Trying to get her to deny the Lord, they took the baby away and they forbid it to be fed. And they would bring the baby in crying and crying and crying. And they said, you can have your baby back the minute you say you deny Jesus, the minute you say you'll worship the emperor. She said no. She loved her child. But she was a disciple. Then they came back to her later and said, if you will just take a pinch of salt and drop it into the fire at the altar of Diana, we'll give you your child back. Just one pinch of salt, one moment of time. She said, I can't do it. Her father began to beg her. He said, please, please. And the story is told, and again, it's it's historically verified. She held up a vase. And she said, Father, can this vase be called anything other than a vase? And he said, no. And she said, then I can't be called anything other than a Christian. And they sentenced her to death. At first, they tried to have her gored by bull that would, you know, trample her, gore her, beat her into submission as it rammed her over and over. And that she didn't die from it. And then a a soldier in front of a big, big packed arena started stabbing her in parts of her body. And she just would pray for them. And she even crawled to help another woman who was being tortured. And then one of the gladiators walked up to her with a sword. And she reached and grabbed the end of it and held it to her throat, hoping he would be merciful and end her life quickly. But she wasn't going to recant, and she didn't. And again, here's what happened. A packed arena watched her bravery, watched her boldness, watched her love for God. And they walked away in silence. You see, 
it had such an impact because they realized these people are for real. These people mean it. These people are a people of conviction. And when they say they love Jesus, they love Jesus because they know Jesus. And, and so disciples have that true of them. As a disciple, I would live for the Lord and I'd die for the Lord. And I don't want to get too far off, but in the Bible series, I'll show you, we're living in the last days. And uh, one of the signs in the last days of the coming of Jesus will be a global pandemic, worse than the one we're in now. And about that time, there will be a global persecution of Christians, which I don't think you can miss this coming. I don't think you can miss that we're watching uh, uh, the seeds be planted. We're watching the tide turn against us. And so the Lord is warning us that we need to be all out committed. And, and that has always been the case for people who love God. Way back in the Old Testament is an incredible, incredible man of God named Nehemiah. He was called by God to go to the city of Jerusalem, and he got permission to do it, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and then rebuild the temple. And uh, when he went, there were so many people against him that as they tried to do the building, it said that everybody had a sword in their hand because they knew they'd be attacked and people would try to kill them. More than one person threatened Nehemiah. More than one person tried to kill Nehemiah. And then what happened is they became more successful in their building, which made the enemies more angry with them, which caused their faith to be shown more. And then it came a time where, you know what, you may be killed if you truly follow God. And Nehemiah, Nehemiah said, you know what we're going to do about that? We're going to all write down our names. So if anybody comes, they're not going to miss who we follow. Our commitment to God. He said, let's write down our names so they can just know who we are on the spot. In Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, it says, Now because of all of this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on this sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. And so if you go do this, and I want you to go do it, read that in Nehemiah. Then in Nehemiah chapter 10, there's a list of the names. By the way, don't just go, oh, I'll skip the names. Because those are names of people that said, you can kill me if you want, but I'm faithful to God. Read those names. Because God had them written for time and eternity because they were, they were those who were truly 24-7 disciples. Those were the ones who would truly follow the Lord. By the way, it says this, on this sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. Let me ask you a question. Would you have signed that document? You might say, well, I'm not a leader, I'm not a Levite, I'm not a priest. Guess what? If you're a born-again believer, you're a priest. Did you know that? Uh, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus... Man or woman, you're a priest to God. First uh, Peter chapter 2 says, In coming to Jesus, as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as a living stone are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. For a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable through Jesus Christ. So what is so interesting about that is that says that everybody who's a born-again Christian becomes part of the holy priesthood. So Nehemiah would have looked you in the eye and said, are you going to sign the document? Are you going to write down your name and say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. 
And nobody's going to miss my faith. No one's not going to know because I'm going to live it, I'm going to speak it, and I'm going to write it down for everybody to see. By the way, for all of you who have been around Crossroads for a while, you can't miss. There are times I actually call for you to come and write down your name. Uh, Those of you who are brand new, a day may come where I call for you to write down your name. It's amazing to me how hard that is. You know why? There's something in our culture, when you sign your name, it has more meaning. That's right, isn't it? As a matter of fact, we do that in lots of things. Uh, If you want to buy a house, you're going to have to sign your name. You're going to have to sign your name so the deed is put in your name. You'll probably get a loan. You're going to have to sign your name on the loan. And if you told the loan company, I don't want to sign my name, (laughs) they're not going to give you the loan right? Could you imagine a bank going, well, that's, you know, if you don't want to sign your name, okay. No, no, you sign your name saying, I'm going to pay this. And when you're a Christian, are you ready to sign your name saying, I'll be faithful? I'll never relent. I want it to be known. Again, we look into church history and we see that's true. Um, There came a point where a centurion was led to Jesus Christ. He wasn't just any centurion. He was the head of the armed and lightning division. You probably go, what is that? That was their special forces. That was their version of the Navy SEALs or the Green Beret. He was the leader of the most valiant warriors in the Roman army. The armed and lightning division. And he became a Christian. And, and being a centurion, it would not be long before he would be exposed. Why? Because as a, as a Roman centurion, whenever you walked up to another leader, either equal rank or higher rank, or even lower rank, you would do this. You would hit your chest and say, Hail, Caesar's Lord. But he gave his life to Jesus. And now he only had one Lord. See, a, a, a disciple has Jesus as their only Lord. And so he, the centurion, was in a moment where someone said, Hail Caesar's Lord. And he actually hit his chest and said, Jesus is Lord. He knew what it meant. They were in a a frozen area, snow everywhere. And the, the leader who was above him said, Are you a Christian? And he said, Yes. Boldly, bravely, And so he said, then I want you to strip. And he made him strip completely nude. He said, I want you to go out on that lake. And it said that he marched out there proudly, ready to freeze to death and die for Jesus. And then 39 others of his division, 35 other Roman soldiers of the armed and lightning division, marched out behind him, loudly yelling, 40 soldiers dedicated to Christ. And they began to say that over and over. By the way, none of them were a Christian that we know of ahead of time. It was his faith, his sincerity, his commitment that caught all of them to say us too. And so they went out there. They stripped and and stood next to him. The, The Romans wanting to lure them back as they were on that frozen lake, lit fires, called out that they had alcohol for them to drink. And over the course of time, one did. One of them started walking back. And as he did, another soldier saw it happening and he thought, no way. And he stripped completely nude 
and he walked out yelling, 40 soldiers committed to Jesus Christ. Not 39, 40. And they died. But when they died, something happened. The word spread about how brave they were. The word spread about how valiant they were. The word spread about how strong they were. And in that moment, a revival broke out in the Roman army that almost broke it. Because now you had all these Christians in it. And you see, disciples have this incredible impact. But let me get my point across. They only have that impact when they're really living it. Lukewarm Christians not only make Jesus sick, if you haven't read that, Revelation 3, Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, if you're half-hearted, you make me sick. He actually says that. But not only do lukewarm Christians make Jesus sick, they also show everybody you're not for real. Nobody, nobody, non-Christians don't respect half-hearted people. Hypocrites, we call them. There isn't a a person out there who's a non-Christian going, you're a hypocrite, man. I admire you so much for your hypocrisy. You're really good at it. No, it's sincerity. Even if they don't agree with you, it's sincerity. And disciples are completely, completely sincere. And by the way, disciples are not afraid. Uh, One of the reasons people don't follow Jesus completely is they're afraid. But what that must mean then is you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a power and love and discipline. And so you know what? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not going to have fear. You're not going to be afraid of anybody. Are you ready for this? No one's going to shut your mouth. Um, just a couple days ago, I had a chance to be a part of a conference of amazing Christian leaders. And one uh, of the leaders as a woman who lives in Hawaii. And I offered to go have a team visitor. <laughs> I'm the only one. Okay. But anyway, she, she works in the public school system there. And she said to me, Pastor Chuck, I want to ask a question. Um, I want to share my faith but I don't know how I can do that with the way the public school system is right now. And so she said, what do I do? What do I do? And I, I said to her, I said, and her name was Andy. And I said, Andy, I, I want you to know that I am older than you, which by the way, to all you out there, I'm probably older than almost all of you. And I said, I remember a day when you could freely share your faith in the public school system. I remember days I would go onto campuses and they would ask me to preach. Matter of fact, uh, in the town I'm living in, Corona High, they actually had a huge assembly that I got to go and preach to the whole Corona High end. Can you believe that? Uh, and, and, and today, there's no way. And I said, I know how it used to be, but I know how it is now. I know that not far from where we are sitting here in the San Gabriel Valley, a junior high teacher almost lost his job for having a Bible out on his desk. And if some of you are going, can that really happen? It happened. I know some of you in the public school system are going to go, some schools are worse, but none are completely free, right? They're not. You can't just go share your faith. And so she said, what do I do? She wants to share her faith with her high school students. She wants to share her faith with the other teachers. And I said to her, here's what you need to do. You need to, number one, go ahead and live your faith. But the other is, at least at this point, uh, if someone asks you a question, you have a right to answer. So what you do is just set your students up so they ask you a question and then preach. 
<laughs> and I, well, for instance, it's pretty easy. All she has to do is walk in on a Monday and say, so how was your guys' weekend? Did you do anything great? And, and they'll all begin to give their answers. And then someone will ask, what did you do? And you say, I went to church and I was worshiping Jesus and I heard a sermon. And, and by the way, don't stop. Once you got the opening, let the floodgates come. And she was laughing as I told her and other people in the conference are taking notes. And I said, you know what? A day may come where you can't even do that. And you got to do it anyway. All of you who are teachers, you're probably likely the only Christian any of those students are going to hear from. We uh, did a survey at one point. I don't know what's going to happen after COVID. But pre-COVID, we found about 90% of the students in the area around our church don't go to church anywhere. And that means they're not hearing about Jesus from anyone and except for other students, the only other person to share Christ will be a teacher. Praise God for teachers who are disciples that will use wisdom. Use wisdom, but you're not going to let them shut your mouth. Right now, there's a movement to cause doctors not to share their faith. Counselors are not supposed to share their faith. Psychologists are not supposed to share their faith. And there's even now pressure coming. People in law enforcement can't share their faith. And uh, if you're in a place where you're not pressured that way, then you better enjoy it because it's happening and coming. But Jesus said, do not deny me. Jesus said, if you love me, you will confess me before men. Don't deny me. And don't let fear put you into that place where you would do something like that. You know why? You're more than a conqueror. See, some people have a hard time living out discipleship because they're pessimistic. By the way, let me say this. Pessimism is the opposite of faith. Faith is always optimistic. And a lack of faith is shown in pessimism where you're negative and you can't see the good. You can't see the opportunity. Um, interestingly, we're called to live different than that. And so pessimism makes people feel like I'm afraid to fail. If I, if I share my faith, I'll mess it up. See, some of you are thinking that. But if I tell somebody about Jesus, I won't get it right. Let me give you some good news. The Holy Spirit will help you. And, and people are not as hard on you as you think they are. Some people think, but sometimes I, I'm not perfect. So how can I share my faith if I'm not perfect? You just do it anyway. You know why? You just talk to them about a God who sent us Jesus who is perfect. And, and you need him. And he makes a real difference in your life. You need to know that in the end, you're more than a conqueror. Uh, listen to what it says in Romans eight thirty seven. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Are you ready for that? Disciples overwhelmingly conquer. Uh, disciples overwhelmingly conquer. We, we always in the end win. Uh, by the way, the COVID crisis showed us that again. Uh, it's so wild to me that, that prior to the COVID crisis, we were growing at Crossroads. Now we're astronomically growing. Uh, there's a church in Virginia I was interacting with. And, and what happened is their youth ministry was doing okay. Now they've got students coming from over an hour away to somehow hear about the word of God, either virtually or in physical location. And he said, I don't even know how to keep up with all of them. They're coming. We're overwhelmingly conquering in this crisis. And we'll keep doing it. When the persecution comes, do you know what we're going to do? Grow. You ready for this? Church history shows us every time the church is persecuted, it grows. 
in China. Mao Zedong, when he took over the, as the leader of China and, and the head of the Communist Party, he instituted a brutal, a brutal persecution of Christians. And you know what happened? The church group. The church group. Right now, it is conservatively estimated there are 150 million Christians in China. A place, by the way, that you can be persecuted and will be persecuted for being a Christian. It has grown to 150 million or more. Some people believe there's as many Christians in China right now as in the United States. And that's at a time of persecution where you would never say the name if you didn't mean it. Because disciples do that. Disciples do that. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests to us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. So when we're a person who loves the Lord, we do not have a spirit of fear. When we're a person who loves the Lord and is a disciple of Christ, we overwhelmingly conquer. When we're a person who really truly is completely committed and faithful to Jesus, we're going to find that we will be led in triumph every single time. Now, by the way, let me stop on that. You might say, well, is it always easy? Led in triumph, actually, if you think about it, means you've got to go through a battle to get there. You know, you can't be the winner of a prize fight if you don't fight. Can't be the winner of a football game if you don't go into the game. Uh, you can't play rugby. And, and some of you are going, you never have. No, never have. But, but you can't win a rugby match if you're not going to go out there. through. And it's brutal. But in the end, Jesus said, if you'll get into the fight, if you won't be on the sidelines, then you're going to be in the place of victory. You will. You will. So am I saying it's easy? No, I've talked about painful things that have happened, hard things that occur. But in the midst of it all, the blessing comes. In the midst of it all, the blessing comes. And that's what I want you to think about. God wants you to be blessed. Why? Because he has an amazing plan for your life. See, when you're a disciple, you're going to live out what it means in Jeremiah 29, verse 11 to 13. That will become so true for you and true about you. Jeremiah 29, there's this amazing promise. And it says this in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. There's a story, an actual event that occurred where three men were, were told to either deny the Lord or be thrown into a furnace of fire. And they said, we don't even need to answer you. Throw us in the furnace of fire. We're not denying the Lord. And so they were. They were tied up and, and thrown in. And then the people watching looked and said, did we throw three men in? And they said, yeah. And they said, but there's four. And one is walking in there is like the son of God. You probably aren't surprised to know I read today many, many stories of people who gave their lives for Jesus. Real, legitimate, historical accounts of what occurred. And in so many cases, people wrote about 
God made his presence known. To Polycarp, there was a voice. To Perpetua, there, there are many people who said they saw the image of an angel near her. Um, God showed up. God always shows up. And I want you to know that being a disciple is about living your life with God. It's about discovering the plans he has for your life that are for good and not for evil. Plans that give you a future and a hope. Even in the tough times, even in the worst times, we have a future and we have a hope. And that's for you. So I want to ask you a question right now. Are you truly committed to Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? Are you really a disciple of his? And are you committed that you would live for him and you would die for him? And I, as a pastor, and hopefully your pastor, I want your faith to be that real. I want your faith to be that strong. Some of you right now may have never made the commitment. And maybe part of why you never made the commitment is because you watched other people only being half-hearted or halfway. So I want to say this. I'm sorry they were, but I'd like you to do this. Take your eyes off them and focus on Jesus. Focus on the Lord. Because he is perfect. And his love for you is perfect. And a life he has for you is amazing. And so right now... I'm going to ask you, are you ready to say yes to Jesus for the very first time? To open your heart to him, to commit your life to him, uh, to say, I, I'm going to be his, and no matter what, no holding back. By the way, I think if you would do that now after hearing this, I can't imagine you're not doing it with complete sincerity. Because you know the calling is to something greater and yet more, more serious than a lot of people think take it to be. Some of you right now, you need to recommit your life. If you got really honest, you're not all the way for the Lord. There's lukewarmness in you. And yet Jesus still loves you. It's not that he doesn't love you. What sickens him is that you're missing out on so much. What, what it could be. And uh, I want to tell you as a pastor, I, a lot of times I watch people wrecking their lives. And I get that same feeling. But I know this, God heals. Jesus brings hope. And Jesus rescues and lifts people out of things and frees them from things. So right now, that may be you. And, and the place it begins is by committing your life to Christ. And by the way, that's where it begins. So right now, some of you need to recommit your life to Christ. Some of you need to commit your life to Christ. Some of you need to say, this is it. No more halfway. This is the time I'm all in. I'm completely his. There's some, out, some of you right now, your kids are hoping you'll say yes. I believe there's somebody right now, get ready for this. You're single. And the person you're kind of like off again, on again with. They're wanting you to make this commitment so that things could change and the dysfunction could be put away. You know who you are. This is your moment. And don't miss this. The Lord could not love you more than he does, but you have to go and make a complete commitment. So how do you do that? Well, there's two steps you take. 
The first step is to pray. And the Bible says, call on the name of the Lord, which means you make him the Lord of your life. And a disciple is someone who has Jesus as Lord of their life. The ultimate authority in their life is what that means. That what he says to do, you do. The choices he wants you to make, you make. So you pray a prayer and you say to the Lord, I want to commit myself to you completely. It's a commitment moment. It's almost like signing your name on the dotted line. But step two is signing your name on the dotted line. And what is step one? Pray. Step two is you need to declare your decision. You need to give your name. And I want to say that again. You got to give us your name. Uh, So we could pray for you. So we could give you a free book. But most of all, because you want the Lord You want the Lord to know you're a person who would give your name as a follower of his. So how do you do that? You go to crossroadschurch.family and you click on that very top line that says, I've said yes to Jesus. Just go there and click on that and then we'll get right back to you. We'll interact with you. And by the way, we'll never pressure you, but we're gonna offer you next steps to take and you get to help tell us what those are, the, the right steps for you you pray the prayer and I'm going to lead a prayer in a minute you tell him yes and then next you got to be willing you got to be willing to go to crossroadschurch.family and click and say I I said yes to Jesus let's pray Father I pray right now for anybody who needs to open their heart to you I pray oh God for that person who is single but they keep being on again, off again, and the relationship's a mess, and, and they know, they know something's not right. And I think in their case, rather than just quitting right now, what they need to do is commit to you. Really get serious about the relationship with you, and then see what you have for them. Father, I pray for a parent whose kids are just wanting them, they're wanting their, their parent to be real, to really be a Christian, So they're not saying they are one minute and then screaming and yelling the next or so impatient, so afraid, so worried. It's time that they're a Christian who brings stability to their kids and joy. Father, I pray for somebody right now who needs to know their life direction and life decisions and you're ready to show them your plan, but they've got to make the commitment. So I pray, I pray for anyone who needs to say yes to you for the first time or yes to recommit. If that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me and I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and from pain. I pray you'll free me from anything or anyone who's holding me down or holding me back. But most of all, I pray you'll make me yours. I pray you'll make me alive. And I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes to you. And I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours. In Jesus' name, 
amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer. And I want to tell you, uh, the Bible says if even one person calls out to God in a moment of repentance and commitment, that the angels of heaven rejoice. So while I might seem like the only one clapping, I promise there's applause going up for you, cheers going up for you, a celebration for you, because you matter that much to God. But make sure and go to crossroadschurch.family and let us know about your decision. And make sure and share your name with us and, and, and interact with us because we care about you. We really care about you. And I hope that God blesses you in amazing ways as you go live completely committed to him, sold out 24 seven being his disciple. And here's the thing I wanna say to you. Don't forget next week, we start a brand new series. What are those things? What are those questions? Everybody's been asking about the Bible. We're gonna bring you answers that'll make a difference. So make sure you get with us next week. But till then, may you experience God's plan for your life, God's power in your life, and God's promise in an amazing and special way. Hey, God bless you and have a great, great night, great week.